Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Linking the Travel Industry, where we talk about news that you want to talk about. My name is Rian, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Agentivity, where we help travel management companies gain control, insight, and growth with their booking data inside their business. And I'm joined by two others today, Anne and Ash. I am Anne, and I'm a consultant in the travel and airline industry. Happy to help you with anything related to retailing, distribution, NDC one order. And I'm also an instructor with both IATA and Aeroclass. Hi, everyone. My name is Ash, and I'm the host of a weekly business travel podcast called What's Up in Business Travel, where we give you only the important updates in all under 15 minutes. Additionally, I'm the vice president of sales at Traxo, and this is Linking the Travel Industry. So first of all, for those in the audience, thank you so much for giving us your time today. We really appreciate it. It's nice to see some familiar faces. Miguel, Gavin, Alexandra, nice. Dinesh, of course, nice to see you and some new faces as well. Thank you guys for joining us. The format of this discussion evolves around a post I do on a Friday where I've captured a few travel industry stories which relate to the travel industry. And then we just discuss them in here in a bit more detail. There's definitely a longer term theme story coming up for the next few weeks, right, guys? I posted uh, on Friday about the differences in the NDC approach between United Airlines and that of American Airlines. And it's very much in the news. There's been plenty of posts about American Airlines and their, let's call it, line in the sand that they're drawing for the 1st of April, where they're talking about withdrawing 40% of their fare content out of the traditional Edifact channel versus the post of uh, Arjun at United, which I really enjoyed, despite the fact that it was, a I see now, an auto-sponsored video, which I thought would have been more just a uh, blanket marketing, but it was actually a very, very good video by United where they talked about their approach to NDC and the stuff they are focusing on, which is very much the needs of the distribution channels and the needs of their partners, etc., and how they can do things better with NDC. So, um, Ash, you suggested we keep talking about this because this will definitely be a developing story. Do you want to give us your two cents view on, on how that's different between United and American and what you think of it? I'm going to do better than two cents. I might mm-hmm. give you three cents today. Excellent. So look, I think that the next few weeks, like you just mentioned, Rian, it's going to be really, really difficult. And I think that there's going to be a lot of confusion, a lot of mixed messages in the marketplace. And there's going to be people that are going to scratch their head. So we need to kind of keep things in perspective. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think that what we need to remember is that we are dealing with a travel industry that's still in its infancy as it comes to NDC, still needs to be able to have a lot of things explained clearly. And there are a lot of people who are still hearing the name NDC for the first time. So we can't assume that some of us on this call who are well-versed on this topic are going to be able to speak the language of somebody who's hearing it for the first time. And we just need to kind of simplify things quite a bit. What I don't see is the simplification part. And that's the part that's concerning to me. If you look at American Airlines document that just released this past week, I, as an industry veteran who's been in, in the travel business for years, even I was confused when I looked at this document. I don't understand why it has to be this complicated. Clearly, somebody's not doing their job very well because we've had plenty of time. So if you're going to put out a deadline like American Airlines did, you're going to put out a message like American Airlines did, you're going to make the market react like American Airlines did, then at the very least, you could have produced a document that makes sense for a person that is looking at this and and understands it. For me, it was a head scratcher. I don't really know what we're doing with the fair basis code and the seventh character, eighth character. It's so horribly done and we can do better. And what are your comments on that? American confuses me as well. I've um, I've been reading and reading and reading, and um, it doesn't seem like simplification. I can certainly tell that American are trying the stick approach. 
Uh, and of course, United is the carrot approach. I'm very much in favor of carrot approach because it comes down to that basic question, doesn't it? What is NDC? What does NDC mean? And I think that's a confusion here. And to me, it's always I've been talking about the three C's. It's about cost, it's about control, and it's about content. But now with United, I want to add a fourth C. It's about customer experience. I mean, that is the focus of United, which, of course, I applaud because we, we just have to simplify it more for the customer. So that's, the, that's, that's of course, the difference that I see. And, yeah, I struggle, I struggle with America. I mean, they all, we all have to reduce distribution cost. I'm actually going to disagree with you on American. I think they're not confusing me. I think it's very crystal clear. And that is that somebody in the fares department didn't get the memo that they were supposed to simplify things and do this better with NDC. <laughs> and, you know, that, that memo didn't come through. So they're just doing it the old school way. I mean, that fare basis approach of theirs, over those in the audience who didn't catch up on the story, American Airlines is going to be differentiating in the fares by a seventh and other characters in the fare basis, which is something out of the 1985 MPM manual, right? You couldn't make that up, even if you tried. If I had to come up with the worst case scenario for getting new content out, I wouldn't even think of it, you know, worth that old school background fares experience that said, this is the way to do it. And uh, they never got that memo on, oh, it needs to be better. It needs to be simpler. It needs to be better for the distribution chain, for the customer, all that stuff. So I thought at first, and it was a joke, that thing when it came out. <laughs> But um, it's all for real. And then you watch the video of United where they mm. talk about the fact that, A, they've been at industry events where they talked to agents and customers. Now, of course, I'm very focused on the airline agent, you know, focus, which is not mm. all of it. I know yes. that's not all of it, but that's my focus. So first of all, you don't hear airlines say that. They've been at industry events and they heard agents talk about this and talk about this challenge, etc. And mm. then they come up with practical examples of things like waiver mm. codes and reissues and all that stuff. And they address those challenges with the NDC offering. I was really super impressed when I heard that they are enabling agents to service. You know, they were talking about that big pain point that we've all experienced that you've got to call the airline or I've got to call the agent. And then they keep saying this, both of them, and you sort of end up waiting for three hours until you can get something sorted because you really honestly, towards the end of it, you don't know whom you're going to call. United really brought that up as this is a big pain point. And I think it's a very unnecessary pain point we can do better in the industry it is our customer and the customer is its own customer they should be able to get help regardless and so yeah i love the united video i love you know well you know me i've been asking for that for such a long time i've been saying show us some use cases show us some you know tell us what you're doing explain it and how you're doing it right without the fluff the other thing that really oh, wow. delights me is that not once in that presentation are they talking about costs and pain points and withdrawing fares and stick, stick, stick stuff, right? They're talking about the positives, the carrots. And yeah, we both love that. Mm. Then I'm going to move on to a story that Alexandra posted. I'm going to tell you who else talked about the story. Have a listen to this and see if you recognize who this might be. Meanwhile. United Airlines has introduced a new family seating policy to help families with children under 12 find seats together free of charge, which is fantastic. In response, Spirit Airlines promises to give you an extra wet wipe if you're seated under a family of possums. That was the story I posted about. It generated a lot of discussion on your post. And um, people, you know, for myself was saying, I find it very hard to believe that in 2023, this is the kind of stuff we talked about. 
but yeah, it should be it should be the norm. But then somebody did point out to me that you know, I was going to say olden days, but in the days before all this ancillary, you know, charges on planes, etc., the seating was very simple. You could probably achieve it, you know, much easier. And as a result of all the complex, you know, pay for this, pay for that, it, it became a bit of a challenge. And so United solved it with this uh, solution now. And what are your thoughts on that story? Of course, children should be seated together with their parents. And um, I hear more and more that you have airlines who have done that in the past, and now they're actually splitting up families, of course, trying to um, make you pay for it. I don't, well, yes. hopefully, you know, is this intentional or not? But um, yeah, I do, I do realize the logistics, but then yet again, you know, with the technology capacities or, or the possibilities that are out there, uh, we should be able to manage this um, better. So I'm with you on that. Remember the older days, and when you call a travel agent, and the travel agent would say, "Hey, row 35 has all five seats open. <laughs> we can grab that for the entire family." This is one of those situations that occur, and I think it's only occurring for a very, very small number of people. Because if you're traveling with a family of five, let's say you're going to select seats, right? I mean, that's part of the process of being on the plane. But some of these airlines don't let you select seats until after you've made the purchase, so you can't even see the seat map, right? So if you look at the airline uh, booking experience, very few airlines actually allow you to view the seat prior to selecting the flight. Yep. And I think that that's mm. where you have these issues occurring. And then, of course, if you don't want to pay for the flights or you don't have any status and all that kind of stuff, then you let the airline make the selection for you. And I think that what the airline was doing was if it took a reservation of four people, it was just held to skelter, just trying to like sort through the booking process and, you know, do those generic uh, cell formats in the GDS, right, to get those seats for everybody. So you had families sitting everywhere else. What we're hearing from United is that they're going to make some conscious effort. And they did say that you could switch your flights without any additional cost if you don't like the seats that you're in as a family. So that was a nice little perk for family. Yeah, that was a very nice, that, that was a very nice touch. I've seen this done with airlines, of course, who say, you know, they, they identify that there are children. They immediately, you know, um, message in that process saying that the seating is for free. And, and this is, of course, what you what you should be doing. The, the technology is there to do this. Absolutely. I agree. It relates to a experience I just had. And I also posted about this with uh, EasyJet, where they would force me to buy all the extra bundles with that comes with the specific seat that I wanted. And I couldn't pay just for the seats. And I saw, again, there were loads of comments in there. But I don't know if you saw, Anne, Dominic Tucker from EasyJet also commented to say, actually, that is something they are looking at. This feedback is relevant. And and it's, un it's unusual, isn't it, that they comment, which is fantastic, that they're actually, you know, because, I mean, that's really free feedback for airlines to get, you know, posts, for, ex for example, on LinkedIn. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And like I pointed out on your post is that you do feel cheated. You do. And, yes. and that experience is not good. It's going to take, what is it, 12 positive experiences for you to weigh up that, that factor. It's, it's not good. But Anne, can I ask you a question? Why do airlines not let travelers view their seat maps prior to purchasing and selecting a flight? Like, why is something so basic like that still such a difficult thing to get in this industry? So on united.com, on aa.com, I can do those things. On britishairways.com, I cannot. I'm not picking on British. I'm just using them as an example here. There are lots of airlines, even here in North America, where you only get to see the seat map after you have paid for the flight. If you use an agent yeah. in a GDS, you can also do it. You can you can see the seat map before you end the transaction. Yes, yeah. that's why we should forget this online stuff and just go back to the agent world. <laughs> but of course, you can see the seat map before you've before you've selected. Yeah, the it's, they yeah. just don't have yeah. it in the experience flow, right? So whoever's deciding on when you can do what on the on the UI or the UX or the U, UV yeah. or whatever they want to call it, you know, it's it's a disaster and it's such a basic thing. 
I think it's very much related, Ash, to that so many airlines have exactly the same experience flow because, you know, they have the same yes. provider. And so it's it, it's very much linked to that. Ah, That's the, answer. the corporate is the same everywhere. Okay. I can see, another, well, yes. I can see yes. another thing to add to our matrix of checkpoints because, again, in this case, shout out to you. And again, this happened in my example. Ash, and the reason why I asked that is this is exactly what happened to me. I switched over to Pegasus Airlines. And as part of my transaction flow, before I... I paid, I could pick my seat. So, you know, before I got to the end of the transaction, it wasn't before I could see the availability, but it was just after that, and then it showed me the seating. Staying with United, well, the next story is they invested quite a bit of money. I'm just looking up the story, but I think it was about $100 million, yes, behind funding into more research on sustainable aviation fuel. Again, I think we're all in agreement here. We think this is the airline's problem to solve, and they are doing that. They are investing in that research. So I've got nothing further else you know, to say there, but you know, congrats to United for doing that. Um, Ash, do you agree? I do. And I think that as we move forward, as I mentioned in the early part of this year, there's so much work that all these airlines have done with SAF. I'm really, really impressed, actually. And I have to give them kudos because, and in this case, you have United, JP Morgan, GE Aerospace, Honeywell, Air Canada, all starting out with this $100 million. And I think that this is a good move and kudos. And so I just want to post this one over to you because my next two stories are very contrasting, right? So on the one story, I talked about the GBTA, the Global Business Travel Association, who said that Western Europe is set up for a very fast recovery in business travel spending. And on the other side is a story by Lufthansa, who say they have to cut their summer schedule uh, by 30,000 flights to avoid... Um, the previous season's chaos. And Ash, I just want to say hats off to you. You actually mentioned the story last week. You were a little bit ahead of the news because it only, only sort of came out this week past, but you mentioned it. And is that, is, am I reading this right? So Lufthansa would rather cut 30,000 flights than deal with the chaos. Isn't there a better way for them to solve this potential problem? I was really astonished when I saw that. And they obviously have this uh, ramping up staff issue still. And uh, it seems to be very lengthy. And, and uh, as you saw, I mean, there were strikes, the airport strikes again. And uh, well, that's not really necessarily related in that way to Lufthansa, but there are obviously staffing issues. And 30,000, of course, it's, yeah, that's a lot. So, um, yeah. as you recall, you mentioned this last week? I do, and um, yeah. thank you for that yeah. comment. This is actually not just for Lufthansa. This is a problem that we're all going to experience. Anybody in North America, Europe, market, we're all going to experience this. Canada has limited flights this summer. Amsterdam, as you heard, is putting 66,000 max on their flights. You already mentioned the Lufthansa. And American Airlines just announced that they have cut 50,000 flights from the summer schedule. So everybody has is anticipating problems because they've already seen the problems during the holiday season. Everybody's getting proactive. So we're going to see a huge amount of decrease of supply from the ecosystem. Another airline story is about the parent company of British Airways, uh, International Airlines Group. So they've now confirmed that they will probably go ahead and buy the remaining 80% stake in Air Europa. Um, so they already hold 20%. They're going to buy the remaining 80% for $400 million. This is an airline that's very much under my radar, and I don't really know much about them. What do you what do you make of the significance of that story? There's a couple of things that are really interesting with them. I know them quite well, actually. I've flown them quite a few times. And of course, it's now, of course, IAG dominates Spain, which is 
really interesting, right? So, so they're definitely the the dominant group in in that country, which is a significant market in in uh, in Europe. And I think it's about time because uh, personally, I think they should be consolidated, and you should just you know consolidate even even more. But I wonder how they're going to you know position them versus Welling. It's also going to be very interesting to follow. Anyway. But but definitely about time. I just remember that they had a much higher price tag on this purchase pre-pandemic. So I think they got themselves a good deal. My next section is my meanwhile section. I have to say, I'm not sure I should even play the jingle, but let me go for it. Meanwhile. Kind of touched on this already because this again relates to, well, the reduction in ability for people to, you know, to, for, for planes to fly. But this is JetBlue. They really would like to fly to Amsterdam, but they are struggling to find slots there because the Dutch government has got this policy of reducing flights, you know, out of Schiphol. And so that is just such a shame. I mean, it would have been such a good match, JetBlue with the blue in it and flying to Amsterdam. It's got the blue colors in it. So it would be a great match. I know, Anne, you want to see them in your parts of the world. I mean, Amsterdam makes a lot of sense, right? Oh, I wish they could come into Copenhagen. Please, please, please. I would love that. <laughs> I love that product. I love that airline. Yeah, I, I don't actually, I haven't, perfectly honest, I, I, I don't know enough about, I mean, the Amsterdam and the cutbacks, and it seems like they're doing everything to reduce capacity, right? Yeah, I think that uh, they should stop trying to fight uh, this whole situation with Amsterdam uh, because Amsterdam is probably not going to change their mind. Uh, I think they should put their efforts going into maybe Italy or something and taking over some of those routes where people actually, you know, are trying to get to. That's right. I had some Dutch friends who recently traveled out of Eindhoven and um, they bought tickets. They they thought they were flying all the way and they got bust from Eindhoven to Schiphol and then onto a plane. They were a bit shocked. But that's the reality. That's pretty funny. <laughs> It is funny. It's part of the intermodal experience. There we go. Yes, there we go. And uh, Anna Nash, for my side, thank you so much for you guys joining us today. Thank you so very much. And big thank you to our audience. I want to thank everybody for joining today's session. We host this LinkedIn call every Monday, and it's all about linking the travel industry. Please do share this event with everybody that you know, and chances are high that if you enjoy this event, others that you know will as well. For those who cannot make it because of time zone or availability, please know that the session is always available as a podcast on Business Travel 360. You can subscribe to the podcast by searching Business Travel 360 on your favorite podcast player. This is Linking the Travel Industry, and we're signing off. Thank you.